Welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Joe Lalo, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Lindsay Baroker. And I'm Andrea Pearson. And uh, today we're going to be talking about scheduling. Um, how far ahead should you schedule? Uh, what, what are the benefits of planning it well in advance? And is there value in maintaining a bit more flexibility, uh, making decisions closer to release? But before we get to that, let's, uh, let's go through our news. I'm up because purple is first. <laughs> okay, so my book le- book launch week has ended and I'm gearing up to start writing the next book. And um, I decided today that it was not going to be something that I'd been working on for the last three days. I was like, I've been sitting there brainstorming and outlining everything. I'm like, you know what? This is not what I'm going to do. So I, not- I nixed that project. That'll be a future romance book. It just wasn't calling to me. Um, anyway, so I've been alternating between homeschool and writing, and that's been really, really good. I focused the first three weeks of January that my calendar, I keep looking at my calendar, first weeks of January, and then the first two weeks of February on Link- Dr. Lincoln. And that included my two COVID weeks. And I've been focusing on homeschool almost exclusively since then. Dr. Lincoln's launch did take a couple of days while setting up ads and doing, putting emails together and all of that. Um, and I'm trying to decide when to switch back to writing. I'm not quite ready to do it yet, but this is all new and I don't know exactly how it'll look moving forward. For sure, I'll focus on writing until I'm done with the book, including my revisions, because a book is a set project. You've got to start in a middle and an end, and then revisions start in middle and end, and that takes about three to four weeks. And then after that's done, and then I focus on homeschool, but there isn't as solid a switching point with that as there is with writing, so I don't know. Um, all of the curriculum I use is based on years, and the ones I've created, my so my own curriculum, and that is also not, is more flexible, but anyway, I can't cram a whole year into four weeks. <laughs> um I want to be ready to switch and not force myself to want to be writing again because I love, I absolutely love homeschooling. Um, so I got to find that balance right there. Um, Dr. Lincoln's launch went well. It did worse than I hoped, but better than I expected. <laughs> so that's good, especially when I only have three romance novels published. And the first one was published in March of last year and the second in May. And then I took time off for moving in surgery. and It's been nine months since I last released a book. And so I, I feel really good about how it went. Um, in total, I spent $442 on Facebook ads. My average cost per click was 23 cents and I had six ads in the campaign by the end. And I added a new ad every day during the launch. Um, I spent $80 per day for the first four days, then dropped to 40, then 15, then turned them off based on the budget I'd set ahead of time. I'd set a budget of $400 and, uh, $500 ahead of time. And then I just, I'm, I'm more, um, not as much of a risk taker. I'm a little bit more leery about spending all of my available money for this launch and so I was like, I was like, yeah, I've got other stuff that I need to do. Like I need to get a new laptop. And so I tapered it off a little bit early. Um, my romance books so far have brought in $360 since the launch. So that's in 10 days. I'm pretty happy with these numbers. It's a new pen name, like I said. And also, like I said, I hadn't written anything in nine months. And for being fairly inactive for nine months, I earning back 75-ish percent of my, and I'm not going to do live math. If Joe or Lindsay wants to check my math, they can, um, but earning back 75% of my spend only a week and a half after the launch for a Kindle Unlimited book is really good, in my opinion, um, for being fairly active, like I said, and only having a couple books out. Um, since this is all pretty much an experiment. Oh, and I need to add that Dr. Andrews, the first book in the series, I set it for free during that period. And I set book two at, as a Kindle countdown and my next launch, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to see how Dr. Andrews performs at 99 cents and how Dr. Davis performs at full price. And, um, uh, my goal this time was to get as many people downloading my book as possible though. Anyway, so since this is all pretty much an experiment, I'm not sure how long it'll take to break even. And, um, 
I'm expecting that my next book launch, which will probably be in May, um, that'll happen after two weeks, possibly or faster than that. Um, I gained 565 subscribers during launch week. And the point of a book launch is to gradually gain more subscribers so you can spend more money, so you can get more downloads and more subscribers, so you can spend more money. <laughs> and uh, so this isn't a bad start. Um, again, it's pennies compared to my fantasy, but it's still I'm it's still very encouraging to me, especially with how competitive things are right now. Um I'm also going to be presenting at a virtual author conference that Brian Cohen is putting together. That's going to be in August. He has early bird tickets available and I've got a link that uh, Lindsay is going to include in the show notes. I hope because <laughs> she does the show notes. Uh, the conference will be focused almost exclusively on selling books using your newsletter. And I'm really looking forward to that. And um, yeah, so that's my news. The end. With your Facebook ads, did you find it a cha more challenging than like nine months ago since sort of the, I think that's about the period where uh, Apple was doing their privacy changes to privacy settings in there? Uh, actually, no. Um, I found ads easier this time than they were when I launched my first two books. So that was very surprising to me. So <laughs> it's like, <laughs> okay, well, I, I accept. <laughs> All right, cool. Wow. I have a guess my only news is that I'm about to launch, I, I mentioned it a few shows ago, uh, just kind of a standalone high fantasy romance that uh, I wrote in between epic fantasy installments as a break. And I was trying to decide if I should just put it out there without putting any ad money behind it or not, since it's not only does it not start a series, but it's not planned to start a series anytime soon. It's a complete standalone. I left it open with a note in the back, like, hey, if you want to see more, you know, I, I could do more in this world. But I was kind of like, we'll see how it sells first. I probably will cave and, and throw some advertising dollars at it, but maybe only for a couple of weeks instead of just like, I, I don't usually let ad money just keep going until if I have like an eight book series coming or out and it's converting pretty well on book one, then I'll let think, you know, I, I have a couple series where I just always have money going to them, but the other ones kind of have to prove themselves a little bit, you know, after the launch, everybody gets a, you know, a good shot at a launch. And then after that, if it's just like, yeah, this one, you were not as on the money with, um, it's going to get put aside for one that does convert better and did seem to like the cover and blurb and everything are just uh, working a little bit better. So that's about it for me. I'm going to be moving as soon as I get that out, shifting back to my next book five in my epic fantasy series, I managed to get the first, I think I've got about 60 or 65,000 words into it, but it's like, yeah, that's not even halfway. You got to love epic fantasy. I have um, one more after this one. It's going to be a six book series. And then I think I'm going to successfully tell myself no epic fantasy, no epic space opera, at least for a while. I'm going to try to keep I have an urban fantasy series planned for probably the next biggest big series. Um, and those tend to be more like 70, 80,000 words for me. So looking forward to that one. <laughs> As for me, uh, I am on the cusp of release setting a release date for greater land saga four, which will be called the bygone caper. Um, As I recorded this, I'm just over 30,000 words in book five of that same series. Uh, I was actually just reminded um that the uh i have to write a blurb for book four i thought i thought i was all ready to set things up and i'm like ah completely forgot the blurb so um i also am in the midst of some kind of something when it comes to my writing uh i've been having a heck of a hard time getting the words out it's probably more burnout than writer's block because i have a, a pretty decent uh you know uh, outline but um 
like it's just a grind to get my words out uh, i've missed the my quotas as often as i've hit them in the past week or so and there's a lot of reasons uh we're talking about a list that contains distractions as diverse as insect infestation and a rapidly declining geopolitical climate software malfunctions and children's birthday parties so it's been all over the map in terms of stuff that keeps me from thinking straight but um I've found that I've been alternating between hammering my head against the book five and playing fallout four, because sometimes shotgunning mutants is, uh, is better than thinking about important things. So that's where I am right now in my news. But uh, so we're we're just going to roll right into the actual uh, topic then, which is what type of things, uh, you know, we're we're talking about scheduling. And the first point here is uh, what type of things need to be planned ahead and what sort of scheduling can be done. So the list I put together, which I feel like is fairly comprehensive for the things you need to schedule are covers, which depending on what type of cover art you get needs to be scheduled well in advance. Likewise, edits. Uh, If your editor is in high demand, you might have to schedule this over a year ahead. Uh, Pre-orders, which have to be at least a week. Uh, Please keep that in mind, more or less. But you should do more than a week for something I discovered, by the way. Uh, if you do less than a week of pre-order, you don't get that free pre-order announcement from BookBub. <laughs> you need at least a week of pre-order for that. Uh, and then, of course, release dates. Um, anyone else want to add anything that, that you might need to schedule? Just talking in the chat over here with Andrea about World War Three. since you mentioned uh, things going on. It's been great seeing those headlines. I had one in my YouTube feed last night that was like, how to prepare, prepare for a nuclear war. I was like, I am not watching this before I go to bed. Um, but to get back on the topic, um, the only other thing I was going to add to your list was potentially, you know, maybe not scheduling them, but if you have beta readers or if you do typo hunters, like after your editor goes over it, I I have both of those things. Um, You may not like set a calendar date with those people, but that may be another one where you want to give them a heads up and, you know, plan it. Like I try to give my typo hunters two weeks and same thing with the beta readers on the other side. It doesn't always work that way, but especially with the the longer manuscripts, the the typo hunters work for free. I I do give some money to the beta readers. Uh, Typo hunters usually get a Christmas Amazon gift certificate and a thank you, but um, that just try to, those are other people. You can't really just assume that, even your like diehard readers can drop everything to uh, you know, jump like, oh, you know, they might be out of the country that, that week. And you're like, but I need you. That's actually, yeah, it's a very good point. Uh, early on in my career, when I didn't have real beta readers, like, you know, when basically my friends were my beta readers, the longest delay in release was waiting for them to finish beta reading my stuff. Like got to the point where I had covers and everything done. I was like, could you, um, anybody, I just need to know if uh, I'm completely off track with this. So yeah, absolutely. Making sure that, uh, that your sort of prep and, and intermediate steps have got a slot in other people's calendars. And it, really the, the, the broad thing here is other people's calendars. What you're mostly trying to schedule is other people. So if there's a situation where another person's involved, you should probably be aware of that so that you can set that time. Uh, and now we're going to get to types of scheduling. I'll make a point here that I don't know that, like, these aren't official names for the types of scheduling. These are what I call these types of scheduling. So if you just offhand mention this sort of thing to someone else, they might not know what you're talking about, but it's fairly self-explanatory. So the three types of scheduling that, uh, that, I, that I sort of see in use and have used in some form or another are strict scheduling is the first one 
which is when you assign specific books to specific slots in the calendar and schedule everything from the edit to the release, everything involved well ahead of time. So, you know, this is, a, you know, you've got a calendar that has the name of a book on it, or at least the name of a series and a position in the series. And you know exactly when that thing is going to everything else. You've got your, everything's planned by the book to the day. Um, after that would be just-in-time scheduling, which is the complete opposite side of the spectrum. This is when you're scheduling edits and covers as necessary. Like everything that needs to be done, you, you schedule it when the previous step is done. Um, so either maybe you, you plan a story and then try to get your edit. But and, and when, I, when I'm really talking about here is like you finish writing your manuscript and then start letting your editor know you need an edit. Like all of these steps in sequence. Um, and then there's a hybrid version of it, which uh, uh, you strictly schedule the time slots. So, you know, I will need an edit of a 100,000 word novel and a cover and all that stuff. But you don't know until much closer to the actual date what you're going to put into that slot. Like, oh, OK, well, it turns out it's going to be book three of, uh, of uh, my, my epic fantasy or whatever. So those are the things that, uh, that uh, you can start. Those are the ways you can play the game. And so now the next question is, how do we schedule? And I'll start because I'm next in the uh, document. Uh, this varies by how many people that you work with. Uh, but in my case, I do fully illustrated covers, almost exclusively by a very talented illustrator named Nick Delagaris. Uh, and he usually needs about three weeks notice to do stunning fully illustrated covers. So hiring him is usually close to the last step in my process, partially because uh, I'm mostly using the hybrid method here. I usually don't know exactly what I want the cover to look like until I'm some way through the manuscript. So it it makes sense to me to uh, uh, you know pick my the scene that I think works well for the cover during the process and comment then. Um, so after that, the my my editor Tammy Salyer looks she she books a year in advance these days. So I I have strictly scheduled uh, slots about twice a year. Either she checks in with me or I check in with her. We see what it looks like for the next, you know, eight, 10 months. And if I have, if I need spots, then I, I schedule them out. So I'm scheduled to 2023 right now, which doesn't sound as far away as it did when I scheduled it in 2021. Um, and these days I've been doing very short pre-orders, uh, a little over a week uh, and scheduling my, my releases more or less as soon as possible after the edit and revision. So uh, just to summarize it, the, the, using the terminology above, I have a, I'm a hybrid method where I don't know what the editing slot will contain, and the covers are done just in time, as well as the release dates right after the edit. Yeah, it can be tough when you like somebody, you've been working with them, and uh, they become popular. <laughs> and all of a sudden, it's like you need to basically schedule slots and then try to get something in there because they're booked a year out. I'm, uh, I'm envious of your illustrator who's able to do stuff in three weeks. We were talking about before the show how, like, uh, the, the really good people tend to get discovered. And um, even if they weren't that, you know, like, when you first started using them, they could do it right away. Like, I've come across one cover designer from 99 Designs many moons ago that now they take it their year out. You know, that, they were getting their start when they won my my bid on 99 Designs. And, you know, I, I have another one I just used Fiverr for, and I could see that change, you know, like on Fiverr, they have to do it within five or seven days or something like that. And I'm like, yeah, he's going to start getting more work and probably won't be able to do that. But um, as far as my, how I schedule things, 
I um, you know, uh, probably I guess it would be hybrid under under uh, <laughs> Joe's naming system. I schedule rough dates with my editor for usually towards the end of one year, uh, the holiday, she says, I'm putting together my calendar for next year when you want me to book you slots. And I, I almost always, I'm like, I need one every six weeks or whatever. I, I think it's going to be, I keep saying I'm going to slow down guys. We'll see. Uh, but she's, um, I, what's nice is if you do this for long enough, or if you're the most prolific person that they, that's on their books, they tend to, you know, you're also their biggest paycheck. So they usually, you know, people kind of, might be more flexible, can be more flexible for you than somebody where they know they're only going to get one manuscript a year only. <laughs> people, normal people who write one book a year because they're still working full-time job and all that um, are probably more typical client, clients for, for a lot of editors. And uh, as far as pre-orders, that kind of dictates when I have to order covers because I will occasionally, like they all allow you, I think most of the, what the stores now allow you to put up a pre-order without a cover. I know Amazon does i'd have to check with the other ones i don't think i've tried it um but i've definitely found that once the cover goes up the orders start rolling in more so <laughs> like it's just even your diehard fans are kind of looking at the amazon page with no cover like mm, is this a real book it doesn't have a cover so i i do try to have the cover ready you know not no matter how far out the pre-order is i try to have a cover it doesn't always work but almost always i get it up early um and i i i do pre-orders mostly on later books in the series. I rarely do a long one on a book one because I'm trying not to dilute the launch juice or whatever you want to call it uh, by having orders trickling in over months versus getting them all within, you know, from my regular fans within those first couple of weeks. So, uh, but I find like as the series goes on, especially as someone who publishes, I'm usually like I I don't really want to be this person but I'm usually working on two series at once and sometimes I'm writing two genres at once and then there's a side book coming out on the side I find that my reader it cuts a lot down on the emails or questions I get from people like when is this book coming out why are you working on this book when I'm waiting for the next one in this series if they see the pre-orders up on Amazon they don't need to email me and ask and I think it's reassuring to the readers who are like oh you know, you're publishing space opera over here, but I'm waiting for the next epic fantasy. And they say, oh, okay, it's coming in May. That's, they, they do seem to be accepting when they have the pre-order. So that can make everything with scheduling a little more challenging. Because once you have that pre-order date, I, I know at one point during COVID, Amazon was more flexible. I don't know if they still are, but um, for a while there, it was a, if you missed the pre-order date, I believe they were, you were penalized for a year. You can do a pre-order again. So yeah, I, I try to always hit it. Like, I feel like professional, traditional publishing or professional self-publishers don't miss their pre-order dates. I mean, barring catastrophic medical stuff or something, but usually I, I assume with traditional publishing, obviously they're getting the manuscript before they're uh, setting it up. So it's not like us and I do this, put up a pre-order where I haven't started writing the book yet. So uh, not recommended until you're, you've done quite a few books and you have a pretty good idea, like how long it takes you to write whatever it's going to be 80,000 words or 200,000 words. I will say that I've started when it, you know, when it comes to scheduling, trying to do a longer lead time when I, you know, I, I've traditionally probably for the last 10 years finished the book and put it out. Cause I just, you want to start making money. You want to start getting readers. And traditionally eBooks have been like 90, 
98% of my income, 99% of my income. That was very much the case for the first five, six, seven years. It's only in the last couple of years that audiobooks have become a six-figure thing on their own. And I'm getting more and more readers who are audio only and they will wait for the audiobook. And if the ebook and the audiobook don't come out at the same time, I again, and I can't do pre-orders, I don't believe, on Ace through ACX or, or the other side. So it's a, I I may get into the position where I have to become more like a traditional publisher and hold things back so that I can release, you know, audiobook, paperback and uh, ebook all at the same time. Um, I'm not sure if I'm answering the question properly, but (laughs) we'll call it a hybrid author. I often book my cover artists and my editors well in advance, but I don't always know what I'm going to give them. So it's working pretty decently i haven't missed a pre-order date or anything like that um but you know there are definitely we'll talk a little bit more about it but um pros and cons of each okay andrew what do you do <laughs> that was an improper answer Lindsay. <laughs> it kidding. was i had notes and i was like not reading from them i was just let me just talk about what i feel like talking about on today's show guys <laughs> Uh, but yeah, placeholder book covers, they've led to so many. I'm like, uh, guys, it's not the real book cover. It says cover coming soon. I mean, <laughs> uh, they're, those are, they're so frustrating to work with. And, and pre-orders, you can change the date once to a date that's 30 within 30 days. And then you can't put up pre-orders again for, for like a year. And yeah, COVID, I, to- I canceled like five pre-orders during COVID. That was a blessing to me because my life fell apart unrelated to COVID. <laughs> Anyway. Um, okay. So because for my business and the people I work with, I have the most volatile schedule out of all the pieces of the puzzles. Um, I try to only do things that depend on when I'm ready to schedule them and not when others are, or when I'm ready to do them, not when others are. Um, the worst thing in the world would be for me to need to schedule a year in advance and have to miss it based on things outside of my control. That would absolutely kill me. Like I just, I hate the feeling that I'm letting other people down or that I'm not you know, doing what I said I would do. I just don't like that feeling anyway. So I can't afford to work with professionals who have to schedule far in advance, which bites is very limiting. Um, luckily I usually do my own book covers and, uh, thank goodness. Romance is so much easier to do than fantasy. My fantasy book covers would take around 10 hours each, even the ones that I would do that had the same, like I would use this template, like same background, different model. And I mean, those ones still took 10 hours because of all the work that went into them. Um, for romance, it's like half an hour each. And I found out recently that romance cover designers, they charge like the same as fantasy designers, the good ones. And I was like, I snorted my drink. <laughs> like Romance covers are so much easier. Like, why are they charging three and $400 for a romance cover? Sorry, rant, <laughs> rant over. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so for book covers, I schedule them around my downtime. I never do them while writing a book because that pulls me away from writing and same with homeschool. So I do schedule it and I schedule with me the cover designer. <laughs> um, I almost all <laughs> cover designers may direct all hate mail to Andrea says Lindsay in the chat. <laughs> I love it. Do please do. And if you do, I'll just say you're charging too much. <laughs> um, I almost always do book covers when either me or one of the kids is sick because those are slower days and no one minds if I sit at a laptop while a movie plays in the background. Um, I usually batch create four or five covers at a time. And that takes care of about a year's worth of books when I'm writing actively. Um, when I work with other cover designers, because of my activator, which is that strength of mine that says do things now and don't wait, um, I go with whoever can get it done fastest, which isn't always a wise way to handle things. <laughs> and if you have activator, I recommend only approaching cover designers who have a very solid portfolio because then you don't have 
time to have them make changes or to change cover designers if you hate what they did um, or schedule in advance and fight against your nature while being patient in the meantime. So, and then focus on something else. Um, working with my editor is seriously the best thing on the face of the planet. She is a lifesaver. I love that woman so much. She's on my top list of three best friends. She's in my list of top three best friends. Um, we text constantly. She's almost always, and she almost always fits me in whenever I'm ready for her to do an edit. And that's been a huge blessing. Um, there's only been twice in the 12 years we've worked together where she wasn't able to edit when I'd finished a book and, um, and my books, I know it's partly because my books are really easy edits. You know, she charges me like a dollar per page when she charges other people three to $4 per page. Is that how it goes? Or is it per word? Not per word. They don't charge $3 per word <laughs> to do an edit. Um, anyway, so, uh, how does this help authors in situations similar to mine? Um, maybe find someone who also does something else on the side. And I don't know how you're going to do that, but editors who only edit usually need to fill slots in ahead of time for income purposes um, or they're popular. So find somebody who isn't as well-known, which is really hard when you're starting out because you kind of need to go with somebody who's well-known to know if they're doing a good job. Um, you could also get to the point where you swap manuscripts with a list of experienced authors who have an eye for grammar and story. Um, if you're experienced too, or if they're willing to help you out, I found that in a pinch, a bunch of experienced authors can cover for a professional editor. Uh, if you have a list of authors you can approach, you can comfortably approach without feeling like you're treading on their toes, which makes it really uncomfortable for you if you feel that way. Um, if some of them can't do it, then you're still pretty well covered. And I have recently experienced that when my editor had emergency surgery. So, um, yeah. I was just going to add that I have done, if you're doing a series where, let's just say it's like paranormal or urban fantasy or something, and they're all set in the same city, they're all gonna have the chick with the glowing hands on the front maybe with a sword or a tiger if it's my books um one thing you can do is just book all five covers at once if you like if you think it's gonna be a five book series but you do want somebody that's taking you know you have to book them six or eight months out and i've done it in the past where like you know you can just kind of get the flair you don't necessarily need something specific to that book on the cover or what you can do is order five and then when you're ready with the titles like they can add the titles easy you know you just tell them like hey i want the covers <laughs> i'm ready to order all five covers and usually it's, it's going to be really easy for them to go and like if you don't have them all titled or and then you can even swap them around like oh i think that one's going to work best with the book three story so that's an option and that's going to be more for like really prolific authors obviously if you're earlier in your career like the just in time editing is probably fine like with my first book i was just like hey i'm just gonna you know i had no fans waiting it's not like if i put it out this month or next month it was gonna make a big difference in my income so you know earlier on you probably have less than that but you'll probably notice that with some if you follow prolific authors that are always putting new stuff out you're like oh their covers are all kind of the same it's like yeah they probably ordered all five of them ahead of time and just you know made it work and the thing is we get hung up on it like we want our covers to beautifully like represent this story and the characters. And it's like, it doesn't matter. You just want them to sell books. And usually you don't need it to be super faithful to the story. You'll have some sticklers later on that like when the hair color is wrong and stuff like that, they'll point it out, but they already bought the book. So it, it worked. <laughs> all right. That's and, all I, and really quickly uh, designers appreciate it when you can do that because it's a lot easier for them to do five of the same style in one go than it is for them to go back and go like, okay, how did I do all of this as a cover designer? I would much prefer if you can to, to batch it <laughs> like that. And there are uh, cover designers who actually will give you a discount if you do a certain number of covers in a certain amount of time. 
So definitely something worth worth keeping in mind. Uh, so now we're going to work our way through the three types of scheduling that I listed uh, and go through the pros and cons of each. And we're going to be starting off with strict scheduling. And uh, the, the pros that I've identified for this are, uh, first, that it minim- minimizes unforeseen delays. You no longer have to worry about the availability of your cover artist or your editor or anything like that because it's all set. They know it's coming. You know it's coming. You don't have to worry about one of them suddenly not having an opening when you need it. Um, it also allows for a more consistent release schedule because if you booked it early enough ahead of time, then you're able to choose, okay, I need you know editing slots every two months because I want to release books every two months. You can do that. Whereas uh, with the other things, again, if, if their availability doesn't match with your requirements, then you're kind of stuck. And uh, finally, it, it maximizes pre-order potential because you will be reasonably certain that you're going to have the book done at a specific time. So even if you haven't even started that book, as we mentioned earlier, uh, you'll still know when the release date is, and you can, you know, you've got the, you've got a name associated with a release date, and therefore you can do an assetless pre-order in the places that allow that, uh, where it basically uh, unavailable for any of the other scheduling methods. That's that's a really good one too, and I mean Amazon, you have to have a cover for them, but a lot of the places don't require anything, but you just say a book's coming, you know. Um, okay, so I have a couple pros here as well. Uh, if you use strict scheduling, um, you're able to work with possibly better professionals. It's not guaranteed, obviously, either way. Um, and you're not going to get a worse professional necessarily if you don't work with somebody who schedules far out. But it, it, can, it can be mentioned, should be mentioned maybe. Uh, definitely more popular professionals. If you have this dream cover designer you've always wanted to work with, you've got to be willing to go with their schedule. And it can possibly be a year out. Um, it's really helpful for people who need a clear picture of how the future will go. So like planners, et cetera, people who like having a schedule and knowing what to expect that it works really good for them. And especially if they're working with a professional who is very dependable, um, then they know for sure that that, and most professionals are, uh, they know for sure that that's going to be there and is their slot and nothing's going to make that go away. And so that brings the security that they wouldn't have otherwise. Um, and then it's also really great for those who are externally motivated. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being externally motivated. Um, having a set slot with somebody that you respect, like a cover designer or an editor, um, several months in advance can be very motivating and get you actually to finish your deadlines on time. Yeah, I think with all three of these, some of them are just going to be like, what is best for your personality? Like, it may not even be like, I'm not sure that my method is the best method, but it works for me. It's some flexibility. I'm a little envious, though, when I see people that have like six, the next six books up on pre-order and they have the titles and the covers and everything already. I'm like, wow. Okay, you are you are locked in and on it. Um, I will just say that whether you either the strict scheduling or kind of the hybrid, uh, where you're really like you're probably setting pre-orders, you probably have your dates with your editors, even if you're not always sure what book they're going to get <laughs> eight months in advance. But um, with either of these methods, I think the big pro is that you can you can become almost like a factory and you can get books out more quickly um, as long as nobody along your chain happen you know nobody gets derailed which could cause delays but um you'll never be waiting to like sitting and twiddling your thumbs you'll always be some moving the book along somewhere in the process probably while your editor like with me my i just sent one off to my editor i'm working on the next one and i'm about to publish the last one so it becomes like you know just a a <laughs> was a t- ford with his assembly line i guess like it's not that romantic but it's good for business <laughs> 
It's darn right. It, 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 it actually feels good when you have stuff going in parallel because you feel like you're doing three things at once. Like I've, you're, you've, you've force multiplied yourself. Uh, but there are cons for this as well. Um, the cons for strict scheduling, you have very little flexibility. You basically have to go by a decision that you made possibly two years ago. And uh, if circumstances change, you know, tough luck. This has been strictly, strict, just strictly scheduled. <clears throat> Also, it potentially separates the writing and the release. Well, sort of, it separates the planning from the execution by months or, again, maybe a year, maybe two years. Uh, I find when I plan a release too far ahead, by the time com- it comes that I have to, you know, talk about it and promote it and stuff, I often can't remember which what what happened in that book. It's happening right now with the, the newest series, where it's like I wrote five books. Well, I'm I've wrote four books and I'm halfway through five in what is for me a very short period of time. So it all became one continuous plot. And I can't remember what were the key events of each book. And now I have to try to not, I have to try to not uh, spoil the next book when I'm talking about the current book, you know, it's, it's a mess. So those are some cons for me. It's so true. Um, yeah, in my books, like that, I wrote really close together there, you know, they're between 40 and 50,000 words back when I was doing a lot of urban fantasy. And I was like, okay, now which book did this happen in? And how do I not spoil it for readers? <laughs> um, so this is related to very little flexibility. If something happens on your end or the professionals end, you're, you're scrambling to cover and it can be really frustrating. And it's, I mean, especially if there's an emergency or something like that, then, you you have to um be willing to be flexible even though there is no flexibility so um uh it doesn't work as well for those who are internally motivated so for me nothing absolutely absolutely nothing holds me to a deadline if i don't want to make it or if i can't <laughs> so don't want to usually relates to getting burned out very rarely do i say yeah i don't want to do that anymore actually sometimes i do <laughs> never say never. There's been a few cases where I told my editor, I'm like, never mind. <laughs> um, and it can burn bridges. Um, this is something that's kind of needs to be said. If you miss a deadline, some professionals won't work with you again. So that's a con right there. Um, and some of them, if they know you well enough, they'll be willing to work with you again. But a lot of the times, the newer ones, they can't afford to have that, that empty slot in their time schedule and finding reliable clients is also hard for professionals. And so you fail, you flake out on them on accident or just something happens uh, it can potentially burn a bridge right you you know you're probably going to get more flexibility from people once you've already worked with them a number of times and paid them and you know they know you're good for it but um earlier on right they might just decide you're not worth the trouble um my only real con here with the strict scheduling is that you know i mentioned being like wow that that lady has like or that author has six pre-orders up for the next like eight months and everything and she knows what she's gonna write um but at the same time i would never do that because i even though it's really logical from a business point of view as you guys know as authors and creatives it can be really hard to mesh like the business logic what you should be doing with like what the creative brain needs to do especially if you are more prolific or your life is just hectic and you're maybe prone to burnout or you just you need to like have variety like you cannot just work on the same series and write 10 books back to back to back to back so that's kind of how I am I'm usually good for the first three books in a series and then I start thinking ooh, what about that other idea maybe I'll just do a one-off on the side to um 
freshen things up or, you know, some people just take breaks, but I'm like, I'd rather have a new project, but different than the project I should be working on. So if you're really strict and you do have a bunch of pre-orders in a series lineup and you decide you want to do something else, you're just kind of out of luck. Uh, so this method doesn't really allow the room to just insert projects that your muse says, mm, I'd like to work on that now. And if you chain your muse down and <laughs> try to just always do the rational business logic sense thing that depending on your personality might be a recipe for a breakdown <laughs> so uh you learn along the way after you've written a few books how how you are and how things go but uh, that's all i have for that yeah that's definitely one of the motiv motivating factors for adding flexibility for me is occasionally occasionally i just want to make a mistake as evidenced by all of the mistakes that i've made <laughs> But uh, so our, our next type of scheduling here is just in time scheduling where you're scheduling as required as opposed to ahead of time. And we'll start with the pros. Obviously, the biggest pro for this is it's got greater flexibility uh, because you are not set in stone with what is going next. You can change to, uh, you know, you, you can react to changing circumstances or shift directions if a series is bombing. Like just generally speaking, uh, you, you don't have to follow any roadmap. So you can pivot, very, very nimble method. And it's got no deadlines. If you were the kind of person who absolutely can't function under, under pressure, then this is really the only method available to you that does not require you to be finished by a specific point. So, you know, don't worry about missing a deadline because the project only proceeds when the project is complete. I love that point. Um, I like, I'm, I can't work with deadlines from other people. I work with my own deadlines, but my deadlines can be broken and it, it breaks my heart, <laughs> but it doesn't cause damage to other people and to relationships. And so this, this is phenomenal. And also, I'm really glad that you called this, this, uh, just in time scheduling and not last minute and spontaneous scheduling or something like that. Fly by the seat of your pants scheduling <laughs> just in time. Sounds better. <laughs> Um, it works great for people who need to, or want to schedule strictly, but due to life circumstances can't. And, um, that's, that's me pretty much. I love having schedules and I love that, love keeping them strictly, but I can't. And I'm, I'm finally getting to the point where I'm like, you know, what? it's okay. My kids are going to throw a wrench in my schedule and that's okay. Um, it doesn't affect as many people because if they don't know that your, your life is falling apart, then it doesn't affect them. <laughs> yep. If you've ever done any computer programming, then just in time is a popular term for doing something almost almost after it was supposed to be done. <laughs> uh, so, but okay, so there are some cons for just in time scheduling. Uh, you have less time to plan a launch. Uh, sometimes very little time indeed to plan a launch, depending on how just in time you went. Uh, and also uh, highly variable delay times, because again, now you don't seek an editor necessarily you might not be seeking an editor until you've completed your manuscript and if the editor you want doesn't have any openings for six months then your release date just moved forward by six months and then there's the you know hopefully you'll also do the cover at the same time but again any step along the way uh, all of a sudden availability of other people is going to be making the decision about when your book releases so even though it's more flexible a lot more of it is taken out of your hands as at the same time which is kind of uh, paradoxical Yes. Um, and then it requires mental fortitude. Um, <laughs> this is, yes. Um, sorry. I'm like, uh, whatever lost my train of thought. And my, my, uh, day is going into a, a train wreck right now. 
Um, so it requires mental fortitude because you can't expect a lot when a lot isn't put in, especially for a launch. So, and that is not meant to be an insult. I'm just saying like my book launch would have gone much better if it had been planned by somebody who didn't have things distracting all the time, you know, and I know that, but my book launch went really well for what I put into it. And it, it's taken me a while to recognize that I have to do the, I'm doing the best that I can. And I can't expect more than what I'm putting in. Um, and you can't expect to work with the best when you're unable to commit to their schedule and not just the best, but the professionals, the really, really professional people. It's really hard to work with them and expect them to be willing to work with you. If you don't know what your schedule is going to be like, um, and then also expecting things to go, go other than they possibly can leads to burnout and stress. So expecting for a book launch to do really, really well when you didn't have time to really plan it and you didn't know exactly when it would be coming out and, and expect it to go really well, that leads to a lot of burnout. That leads to stress. And it just, it's not healthy emotionally. And authors are already dealing with a lot of emotional issues just because it's, it's a tough, this is a tough career and we are stuck inside our heads a lot. Um, and it's harder to get that feedback that we need. Um, anyway, so don't just don't, and it, like I said, it requires mental fortitude and don't expect a lot when you aren't able to put a lot in. So I think you could still have a good launch if you do just in time scheduling, you just have, you're going to wait, everything's going to happen slower. You have to get your book, you got your cover, everything. And you might then need to schedule your launch for a month away. So you have time to do all the launch stuff. If you get your book and you're like, woohoo, launch time. Yeah, then uh, it's probably not going to be as well planned out and as successful as it could be. But um if you're, as long as you don't set a pre-order, you're not really, and you probably, why would you, if you do just in time scheduling? So, um, so I think you can, it's just that, yeah, the con for me is that you're, you're slower, your output's probably going to be slower overall, but, and you're going to spend like more time waiting between the stages. But if you're the kind of person that can just, I mean, you can still do the assembly line. You, you just have to be willing to start working the next one while you're waiting for your editor and their slot to open up. So you know, I think you can still make it work if this is kind of what suits your personality. Um, you know, that's, I guess, all I have to say about that. And it is nice, too, that you're not going to have that pressure. Although I will say a possible con of not having any pressure is you probably will not, unless you're like an amazing, I don't know what personality type it can be, that gets a whole bunch done without any deadlines or any external motivation. Is that what you called it, Andrea? Then, um, yeah, I feel like most of the time, like if you don't have any pressure, a lot of people are like, well, I can play Xbox for the next six months too. So it's it's a little hard. Maybe a lot of us need those deadlines. So that's just something to be aware of. It's, if you're very laid back and I feel like most of us know this because we, you know, we were all not full-time authors to start with. And a lot of us have stories about how it took us seven years to finish our first novel because there were, there were no deadlines. It was just a hobby we were working on here and there. So that's probably a con I would say for me is the, the fact that like, that's fine earlier on, but once you start depending on this income, then maybe you might want to have a little more uh, scheduling just to um, be careful that things don't go backwards as far as your, your progress and um, building your fan base and hopefully making more money as time goes on. Yeah. And that's definitely an activator thing for me. Like I, I planned my launch and you make a really good point there. Like you can, you can write it, finish, have it edit, have a pr final product, and then take a couple months to plan a launch instead of launching it right away. Um, my activator says, do it now. <laughs> I'm like, and I'm, I'm one of those, those authors that I, I don't, I mean, I guess that maybe, I don't know, maybe it's not common, but external motivators aren't motivating to me 
like internal, like my first book, I was like, I'm going to write a book. And six weeks later it was done, but I was an adult at that point. Well, well into adulthood. And, um, so it's a personality thing. I think some, you know, and when we had Becca Syme on, she made a really great definition of internal versus externally motivated. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with being internal or externally motivated. You just have to figure out what makes you tick and work within that. Yep. And uh, so the, the last section here is, uh, is hybrid scheduling. Uh, the pros for hybrid scheduling, it, well, it's hybrid. It maintains the consistency of your releases uh, that you get with strict scheduling, but it still provides some wiggle room for you to change your plan. You can slot in an equivalent book uh, if you feel like the direction of the current series isn't working or something of that nature. Uh, and also, it, it possibly allows you to work with a different set of professionals. Like, this is a situation where um, because you're, you're, you're doing a hybrid thing where what can I say? Some people specialize. Some uh, some uh, editors and cover artists specialize in uh, in certain genres. And if you're the kind of person who writes in, in multiple genres, you do a hybrid thing where you just I want to have a, a sci-fi book in the slot, right? As opposed to a member of the uh, part of this series, like you can diversify your your author list, your artist list, and sort of say, okay, you're going to be handling this slot up here, as opposed to you know, well, I'm locked in with this cover artist for the next six books because I planned the six books to be in a series and can't really change out. So that's another option that you have available to you with hybrid. Right. This is, this is like I said, this is basically what I do is I just get however many books I think I'm going to write next year, ask for that many slots with my editor, reach out to the cover artists that I know book well in advance and just kind of ask them like, hey, can you do three for me in the fall? And when the muse comes along, there is that flexibility. And in cases like that, it may mean going to Fiverr to get book covers because I, you know, I'm taking this time off from the main series that's the breadwinner to write this other series that I'm just going to throw out there. And although you never know which one will become the more successful series, usually not the one you thought was going to be more successful. Um, but yeah, so the pro here is that it does allow you time if you're just booking things. But not being, you know, not saying you are getting 150,000 word epic fantasy on April 21st. Uh, you know, if, you, if you're not that strict, you can be more flexible. And I would say that this still allows you to publish fairly quickly. Like your, your people are all lined up. You just may not know what you're going to give them yet. And um, I do with my editor. I generally give her like, I, I'm good enough that I can give like the next three projects for the most part, two or three ahead of time. So she'll know if she's going to get something big. Like I try to warn her, like, I know she doesn't care if it's 75,000 words versus 90,000 words. But if I'm throwing an epic fantasy at her, I'll try to warn her like three months. I'm like, hey, I think that one is going to be maybe 175,000 words. So uh, that that will, I think Joe has this as one of his cons. So I'll let him take it over. Yep, uh, I'll just move that one to the front. This may not be feasible if book lengths vary greatly. Uh, an edit slot requires some level of length estimate. Like if the editor has blocked out two weeks to edit your book and then you give them just your magnum opus that's half a million words, that's just not going to work. You can't do that. And like, like Also, if you're the kind of person who uh, has shorts, or serials, or, or novellas as part of your, your career strategy, you can't slot a full novel onto a slot that was sized for a novella. So like you you can't this is not full flexibility this, you, you don't retain all the flexibility that's in just in time because you have to uh, have an appropriate 
thing. And, and as I said, sort of in the pros, certain artists specialize as well. And if you have a slot with an artist and then decide you want to do something outside of their, uh, their specialty, that won't work either. You have to sort of have some idea of equivalent novels that you can swap in and out. Uh, and also, this, uh, this reduces the time available for certain launch promotions, thanks to specifics not being available until closer to launch. So again, whereas you might know a year ahead of time that you're releasing book six on April 3rd or whatever, um, in this case, you might only have the just-in-time turnaround for planning your launch, and you know that might uh, foul things up a little bit. Uh, but yeah, that's about it. And that's a really good point. Never thought of that. Cause I, you know, my books, my biggest book is only 90,000 words, which to me, I'm like only that's so many words, but because it's my biggest book, but that's a really good point. I mean, editors, they need the specific time frame to edit a big book and yeah. Um, okay. So the cons for um, hybrid publishing, it just, it might not work for those who have crazy lives and any of any, either the strict or the hybrid. Um, if you want to work with a professional, that's who really, really, really um, like, um, who's really busy and, and schedules way out. It's, it's just not going to work. Um, sometimes strict scheduling simply does not work. And sometimes hybrid just doesn't work. Um, if you have a specific person in mind, but hybrid works really good for, um, if you have, if you're able to be flexible and you can, you know, hire a different cover designer. Um, anyway, so yeah, we need to be okay and accept that, that this is our, our life currently. Um, yes. I don't know where I was going with that, even though it was written down. <laughs> Oh, All just right. had a quick con. Sorry, I yeah, yeah. threw it in the chat there, Joe. <laughs> but I, I was going to say, from my own experience, I generally find this to be the best for me. But you can't, there's possibility with like more flexibility. Like the muse may wander off and be hard to wrangle back into what it's supposed to be doing. That's why I find it helpful to throw out the pre-orders for the next books in the series. So that even if I take a, do a side project, um, I, I know I have to get back to the main series. If you're just constantly bouncing from thing to thing to thing, it can be really hard, especially if you haven't yet kind of gained any momentum and you're still working on building a fan base. That's where it's probably no matter how much the muse wants side projects, it's probably a good idea to, to focus and stick with one genre and series at a time for a while. Easier said than done. Yeah. And uh, as evidenced, with this method, which is what I use as well, you can sometimes end up with incomplete series because, as Lindsay said, you wander off uh, or you change direction. That series wasn't doing well. And then you have a series that's only four books deep or something like that. And it just, you know, it's notable when that occurs. Uh, readers notice. Uh, so the next we're going to talk a little bit about specific aspects of scheduling. We're going to deeper dive. And the first one will be pre-orders. And I think Andrea starts us off. Okay. Yeah. So pre-orders to me, long pre-orders only work if you can predict how things will go. And I'm talking about pre-orders if you haven't finished a book. Um, so if you know, for certain, you'll be able to finish, finish that book in time and there's nothing that's going to come up because your life is predictable, or you just, you're able to work around the little things that get thrown at you. Um, I do not have a problem with authors setting up pre-orders for books they haven't written. And like Lindsay, I've got, I've got several author friends, especially in the romance genre who will set up their whole year worth of pre-orders, um, in January. And then they just write those and release those as the deadlines come up. And, um, that would, I would love to do that. Um, but it, it does, it does not work for me right now. Um, if your schedule deals with uncontrollable variables, so like chronic illness or kids an elderly person who depends on you, et cetera, pre-orders for books that aren't written are probably not the best idea though. You can make them work and I've done them and had them work, but I've also failed miserably at them. 
Um, if your book is already written and it fits in with your plan, scheduling long pre-orders can work really well for you. Um, they can also hold you back if you have activator like me. Um, I still can't believe I was able to pull off a six month pre-order for a book that it was already written and edited and I'm never doing it again, <laughs> but I generally I'll set up a pre-order that's going to, that's, you know, a 10 day pre-order a week pre-order just to start testing ads and seeing how people respond to it and getting my ducks in a row. I love being able to give reviewers a link and say, Hey, this is where you're going to be posting the pre-order because then I don't get email saying the book's not published yet. Where do I put the link? Even though I told them in my email that the book was not published yet. (laughs) So it helps them go and see that, Oh, it's on pre-order. That's what she told me. And uh, yeah, so that's me, my comments on pre-orders. It's interesting that when we first got the ability to do pre-orders as self-published authors, maybe back in like 2016 or something, I can't remember. Um, I, I actually would not do one unless I had the manuscript finished. Like it might not be edited yet, but I wasn't comfortable committing to it until I knew. It's just, it's kind of been as the years have passed and I've gotten pretty comfortable with um, what I can do. I've been more okay with uh, doing one for a book that is not I haven't even started working on yet, although I do tend to do those quite far out. You can always move a pre-order up. Like I, I have one right now for April 31st or something like that for the next uh, werewolf book. And it is going to my editor right now as we're recording this on the March 10th. So I already told readers, I'm like, yeah, that'll probably just get bumped up two weeks. And, you know, they don't generally care. I think with this kind of thing, you know, whereas like a three ninety nine book, people aren't going to be like shocked if they're like, oh, surprise charge two weeks early isn't going to be probably. I've never had anybody <laughs> complain most of the time. I mean, all the time, basically, it's the other way. Like, yay, the book came early. We're, we're super excited. Um, but some big pluses, if you can make pre-orders work or that you are able to accumulate sales, uh, like you can get the sale for the next book. As soon as a reader finishes book four and they're eager for the next one, they can boop, commit to ordering it. And, and that's nice. It, it's uh, maybe not always perfect and ideal for um, Amazon's algorithms, but you can't. Even if you are exclusive to Amazon, you got to ask yourself how much you're going to base your whole life and career on their algorithms. And in the other stores, the pre-orders seem to help. They, uh, they seem to accumulate and give you a boost at launch if you've got hundreds or thousands of pre-orders um, on the back of that. So that is um, something to think about. And then, you know, I already mentioned, like, it's a plus with readers. If they, they see that it's coming out in next month, uh, they don't have to email you and ask you when it's coming out or post on your Facebook page when it's coming out. You can also schedule a market pushes with like the sponsorship sites in advance that those guys always ask for a link um and if you're doing like art teams and that sort of thing like andrea said it's nice for them to see like oh the book is out on the 23rd i guess that's when i go in and post my review you'll still have to remind them but it, it is nice just to have everything ready ahead of time the downside with doing pre-orders is we already talked about this. If you have to push it back, you can get dinged by some of the retailers, perhaps only one. I'm not positive on that. It also looks a little unprofessional if you have to cancel them. Like, I mean, life happens and sometimes just that, that it is what it is, but traditional publishing is not, I'm sure they do not schedule their, well, actually I do not know this. I, I would guess they do not schedule their pre-orders until they have the manuscript in the editor's office. Um, could be wrong there, but I, I feel like they don't typically miss pre-orders. So they, they pretty much have all the assets before they put that out there and then they start their long marketing run. So, you know, and if you're in a situation where you think you're going to possibly miss them, it's probably better just not to do them. It's not like it's a big 
like it's going to ruin your career guys if you don't do pre-orders like i said the main reason i do it later books in the series is just to uh cut down on emails and um it is nice of course to get a big payday on launch day that's always a, a perk uh for marketing too it can be a challenge to get you know your release if you just put it out there and then try to schedule uh, the sponsorship sites and even starting your ads, like you can take a couple of days sometimes for those to ramp up, uh, especially on Amazon, it seems like. So, yeah, that's something to consider. And um, I, I will say that in the past when I've not wanted to do a long pre-order on Amazon, because it was like a book one and a new series and a new genre. And I just want to throw everything at it, you know, over the first two weeks of launch, I set up the pre-order on the Goodreads page and I used that to schedule with the sponsorship sites and, and they were all okay with that. And I just emailed them when I actually had the Amazon link and um, yeah, it actually worked quite well. I don't know if they advertise that they do that, but it, and they all said yes. So that was good. Right. Uh, I used to be dedicated to the longest free order I could, which back when I was making those decisions in that way, I think was only about three months. Um, the reason at the time was I wasn't releasing books very quickly. So it was just a way to have a product soaking up purchases and to talk about while I was taking forever to write the next one. Um, I was also wide and still am wide for the most part. Uh, and on places like Apple, a long pre-order, uh, a long and successful pre-order can cause a colossal rank spike on, on launch because it's accumulating. Uh, again, at least it was back then. Uh, these days, anxiety has shaped me into a much shorter pre-orderer, uh, primarily because I'm irrationally afraid of missing a pre-order date, although the consequences aren't dire. I mean, yes, you, you, might, you might get dinged, but it's not like they're going to knock you off the platform. And uh, partially, it's because I'm trying to adopt a greater release velocity. So all things considered, I kind of preferred the longer pre-order period. It made me feel a little bit more comfortable having a thing out there that was that, like, it let me know how my book was going to perform before it started performing. It just little things about it that I liked better. So I'll probably shift my, my pre-order schedule around to have longer pre-orders uh, in the future. And uh, we have another section here. Uh, do you want to uh, read the question or shall I? Um, I can do it. I'm going to kind of paraphrase it anyway, because <laughs> I'm like, it's not really a question. It's like word vomit almost. Okay. So my question here was basically for you guys. And I have a little bit at the, at the start here too, but how do you know when it is time to find a new professional? Basically based on their schedule, like if they're scheduling too far out, when do you decide it's time to move on? And for me, it, I know it's time to find someone else when they schedule things more than a month or two in advance. And I know that's, that's, uh, it's, it feels really strict and I don't like that. Like that really bothers me, but I can't predict my schedule next week, let alone a month from now. Um, if it's redesigned for cover on an older book, scheduling far out isn't a big deal. And my last, my Kalani Chronicles, the, the book covers that I scheduled out with uh, a cover designer, I scheduled, let's see. January, 2021 for September, 2021, which I felt like that was so far out. I was like, holy cow, but he's phenomenal. So it was worth it. Um, anyway, and it was for older stuff. And so I wasn't waiting and I was doing, working on other stuff. Um, and, but for new stuff, if they start getting busy, where I so busy, where I can't fit them in around my schedule, I have to find myself or find someone new, or I have to do them myself, the covers. Uh, for myself, this has mostly been cover artists where I've you know, I'm not like, I don't ever part ways in an unfriendly way or like unamicable way. But um, yeah, usually 
generally if somebody, if we, I think we were talking about this before we started recording how, although maybe it was during the show, it's all a blur now, guys. Sometimes you find someone and in the beginning, they're really quick because they're, they're kind of new to the industry and you may have had a hand in helping like find them, you know, and then you put them in your um, author notes and uh, other people start using them. And all of a sudden it's nine months or a year out that uh, to get a cover booked. So that's when, and it kind of depends too, like with sometimes if you have an illustrator, that's just they're like amazing. It may be worth it. Like it, maybe they can't do all six books in the series you're planning, but um, if you book them far enough out and then you just find a project for them, like you, you enjoy do side things. You're like, ah, that I'll, I'll see if they can do something. Or like I have, I have somebody that I've had, I think I booked her last fall and she's going to do my next cover this coming fall it's going to be a book 10 in a series that i basically already wrapped up nobody's waiting for book 10 except you know i've mentioned to readers that yeah i'm going to do another one eventually so there's no hurry with that one but yeah when i'm going to like rapid release a new series and i need the first three covers like bang 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 that's you know ideally i i usually even when i'm going to do that i know like six months out like at least that i'm going to be doing that series so i can book people but yeah, I, I've definitely moved away from people where it's they've just gotten so busy. It's just easier, especially with kind of the Photoshop manipulation covers. I don't want to say that there's not, it's not like good designers or a diamond dozen, but it's easier to find people that can do that kind of thing. I found and do it pretty well versus um, like illust- custom illustrations for like epic fantasy or urban fantasy. It can be a little harder to find uh, those people to do this kind of artwork that also really jives with like that you really like like you I don't know about you guys but with illustrated stuff I'm way more pickier like it's got to be like my style that I like whereas with the photoshop manipulation like yeah get the girl with the glowy hands in the woods with the wolf it's it's fine <laughs> so um so yeah I've, I've switched a a few times never in the middle of the series obviously I mean that's rough if you have to switch cover designers in the middle of the series like hopefully you got like the source files and you can find somebody new especially hopefully there's like a zillion fonts so if you don't know the font that was used on your covers you just yeah that you people are gonna be like well I'll just try to do the best I can but I, I've definitely you know gotten the point where um I will say that with cover artists, like my editor, I told you guys, like I, she always books me. So I haven't had this problem with editors. It's mostly been with cover artists, but I have found that once you're more experienced as an author too, you kind of know, like you look at the top 100 for uh, urban fantasy. What, what is it that, uh, you know, is selling in that genre. So you have a pretty good idea. So you can probably go out and get your own stock photos. Like I do this now, I go to the sites where there's multiple photos of one person so that, you know, you're not going to be stuck with only three pictures of that model when you want to do nine books in a series. So I will often just go buy the, the photos myself I kind of like grab some, like, I like ones like this on Amazon, send that to the cover artist. And like, you can find somebody on Fiverr to do covers like that. Um, so that's, that's kind of been my experience, but when you're earlier on and you, you relying on the cover designers experience, cause they've done a lot more covers for your genre than you've written books for your genre, hopefully, <laughs> you know, um, I wouldn't necessarily jump ship just because 
you know, they're, they're getting more popular and it takes longer. I'm kind of rambling on this guys to, to answer your question, Andrea, I've done it. Like it happens. Like if you find somebody really good, people are going to notice your, that your cover is really good and they're all going to go grab that cover designer. <laughs> so um, it doesn't happen so much with the covers that aren't as good, but I've, I've you know, the best thing you can find <laughs> and then when you find these people, these unicorns, keep them, tip them well, especially for illustrated, like Joe was talking about somebody that does it in three weeks. I've got somebody that can do this face opera epic fantasy kind of covers also really quickly. I still book them a couple months out, but um, those guys are gems. In book publishing, you can't always just wait for (laughs) the artist that takes a year. Maybe for some special ones, you can use that person. But, you know, the more you publish, the more you kind of need it. Again, the the factory assembly line, you know, you need it to run smoothly. So, yeah, I don't think that that's unreasonable to to look for people that can do it quickly. It just makes life easier on our end and, you know, kind of trying to find the the point where (laughs) it's not asking for too much. um, But, yeah, not necessarily waiting for nine months. Yeah, it's funny we're talking about how the tendency for people to get backed up when enough people know that they do good work. And I'm going to be saying the names of all of the people that I work with. So good luck to me in the year 2023. I saw that you're doing this and I'm like, Joe, do you really want to do that? (laughs) Well, you know, uh, yeah, I'm going to. So my policy on editors and cover artists is the same. Uh, though the cover designer version is a little bit harder to apply than the others. Basically, I like to have at least two people in regular rotation, if not more. Uh, I presently have a few editors I work with. Tammy Salyer and uh, Anna Genoese are my primary ones, and I've worked with Claudette Cruz in the past. All of them are familiar with my writing. They've all done full novels for me in the past. Some of them have actually edited the same novels because uh, I was started with an edit from one and then I was going to be doing more of the series with someone else and I wanted them to have consistency. So I've had several novels that have been edited twice just for the sake of uh, establishing voice. Uh, for covers, Nick Delagares, I already said his name. Uh, C.A. Gutierrez is another one and Georgie Slavov. Uh, likewise, they are familiar with my settings and characters and I've worked with them in the past. All of them work in sci-fi and fantasy so that I can use them for virtually any type of book I'm likely to write. Um, the general idea is that I have the main person I work with and if, uh, you know, the one, you know, that's the one I schedule slots with in advance when I'm doing, uh, forward scheduling. And if their schedule is such that I can't get something done in the window that I need, then I reach out to the others. Uh, so far it's been rare that the entire group has been too busy to help me in the timeline that I'm looking for. May have changed that with today's broadcast. Who knows? Uh, but you know, it's, I, I try to keep in touch with all of them and send them all, all work fairly frequently. Um, and because it's so hard to find a client, uh, as a, as a client, it's so hard to find a freelancer who's affordable, reliable, and high quality. And because it's hard for a freelancer to find a client who is easy to work with, pays on time, et cetera, it pays to keep these relationships, you know, going good. Uh, and in this way, I haven't really had to fully move from one to another with some exceptions I'm going to say in a moment, I haven't really had to abandon somebody that I work with uh, permanently yet. Um, So I say there's less flexibility with artists and it's because covers work best when there's consistency. So if I've got the same artist for four books in a six book series, I really need the other four, the other two books to be done by the same artist or it might, you know, look alike is not look alike enough usually. (laughs) So uh, I, I can't really afford to like lose Nick 
for the greater land saga because there's two more covers that i'll have to have him do um his style at this point because he's done so many of my covers is almost part of my author brand you can look at a cover and be like oh that looks like a lalo book um but you know freelance artists who are very skilled often get dug into long-term projects and end up with workloads that they can't maintain forever and then you know they can't they can't keep on taking on your work this has happened with my my backup artists multiple times because i have a, a patreon the patreon i i reached the threshold where i said i'd have illustrated covers which means now i need an illustrated cover every month you know nonstop. and there's plenty of freelance artists who love the idea of having oh a guaranteed 150 dollars cover every month fantastic I, I love that and then they realize oh um i can't keep doing that so i've had to i have i've had to change that three times but it's okay because i have a deep uh stable of, of artists and again because they're short stories that usually aren't even connected with each other consistency is not necessary for those covers so i guess the answer to this question is when a freelancer is unable to find enough time for me in their schedule i spread the work that was intended for them to a larger group of freelancers and gradually transition to a new one if it seems like it's a permanent situation I, I just wanted to add that I was teasing on the beginning. I always, pretty much, unless I forget it, every now and then I'll forget to put like a forward in a book, but I always say, thank my editor, my beta readers, and my cover designer, and my audiobook narrator. So it's no, all somebody has to do is open the book to find out who does them. Uh, it is just kind of a fact of life that if somebody's really good, they, they're going to get discovered. And you, I love your uh, philosophy, and I guess I kind of do the same without having thought about it, is that while you're finishing a series with one cover, you may be shopping around for somebody new, and you kind of like try the new person before you know, getting out of the rotation with the other person or like, I still use the, the people I was talking about that I, I found on 99 designs that um now they're like a year out. Like I still do some series with them. So I, I like to like Joe, you know, kind of keep, a, <laughs> keep a lot of contacts. You never know when you'll need somebody. And if, if you do a side project and you need a quick one, uh, somebody may be available if you've uh, spread the work around and have a number of contacts. All right, so uh, that's basically the topic we were trying to do. Does anyone have anything else they want to add before we close up? I don't think so. <laughs> I thought this was going to be a short show. <laughs> yeah. I always we'll think that, and then it goes for an hour. It's possibly my fault. I, I, I yeah. love it. She's like, it's going to be a short show every time we get at least to an hour. <laughs> every time there's like less than 10 pages of notes, I'm like, oh, yeah, well, that'd be good. That'd be short. <laughs> we're going to do it in 30 minutes, guys. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, same thing. I was I was checking today. Literally today, I was rolling down. I'm like, oh no, our, our notes are a little short. We might run short this time, but we did not. So, <laughs> if you've listened to the end, thank you very much. Uh, you can find the show notes or leave a comment at uh, sixfigureauthors.com with the number six. Where I have to put a link to Andrea's workshop. That's what it is. Yes. <laughs> that was an oh, hour yeah. ago that you were talking about that. All right, it'll be there. Awesome. Thank you. Uh, and see y'all later. <laughs> <laughs> Bye-bye. So long, everybody.